This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I am beyond honored to have Becky Long Bailey as I as I live and breathe. Hello. Hello. From a plastic northerner, me, to an authentic northerner who hasn't betrayed her northern roots, of course, the <laughs> member of parliament. For Salford, uh, former leadership contest. I should just set up my cards at the table. I voted for Becky Long Bailey to be uh, to be leader. We'll come on to that, I think. Becky, right? I just want to start with the ste- just the results. Okay, let's just start with the results um, and your interpretation of the results that Labour got uh, across the board. Obviously, we had the catast- the catastrophic results in Hartlepool. Um, in Scotland went backwards, important to say, because the Scottish Labour leaders seem to go on TV and suggest otherwise. And then across England, different results. But I just want to hear, what's your take on the results and what they say? Well, I think it's clear um, now that we've had time to do the post-mortem that a lot of what we were feeling on the ground came to, to fruition, really. We went into the local elections with little to offer in terms of policy, Um, There was an emphasis on focus groups and slogans and the way people appeared, you know, wearing suits. And that wasn't enough to build trust um, in Labour to to make people vote for us. But it's interesting because in that policy vacuum and amidst the terrible results that we saw in certain parts of the country, we saw places like Wales, Preston, Greater Manchester and Salford delivering fantastic results. We won seats from the Tories that we've never won before in Salford. And Paul Dennett, our mayor, increased his vote share from 49% last time to 59%. So you've got to ask the question, what what happened in Salford that didn't happen in other parts of the country? And for me, that's quite clear. We had a vision. We set out an economic platform. We got our messaging right. We built that brand within our community and there were so many things that Paul, the mayor and our councillors did. They set out a bold council house building programme. They talked about insourcing public services. They demanded better rates of pay and terms and conditions across the city. They brought the trade unions in and put their arms around them and worked closely with them, with Unison, with Unite, with the GMB, with Usdor. And that bore fruit because you could see that that close working relationship built those strong foundations right across the city. But we also set about a radical economic vision. We talked about community wealth building, the Salford model, using anchor institutions like the university, the council, our public services to 
procure services from small businesses within the city where we could determine that they were treating their employees fairly. And we also looked at encouraging um, the creation of cooperatives and mutuals and social organisations within the city. I think also, I'm going off on a bit of a rant now about how great no, it is. No, I it is great. Um, amidst the backdrop of this, it isn't just you know what our brilliant councillors and mayor have done over the last few years. This goes back far longer than that. And even as far back as 20 years ago, our councillors at the time were setting out a long-term economic vision. And you know Media City that we've now got in Salford, at the time, councillors talked about, this is in the early 80s, about buying the derelict docks and turning it into what they called at the time the, the Silicon Valley, a media centre for the United Kingdom. And you can imagine being in Salford in the 80s and looking at you know dilapidated docks and buildings that hadn't been inhabited by businesses for years. People laughed at them and thought that they were off their rocker. But decades later, we've got Media City, and we're one of the fastest growing cities now in the UK. And there's a lot more that needs to be done, that's for sure. And that social inclusion and that equality that our mayor wants to see does need to, to be forged forward with an even more radical economic agenda. But I think people across Salford could see that. They could see that we were trying our best, that we had that vision. And despite what the Tories were doing to us, despite cutting our council funding by up to 50% since 2010, we were putting the people of the city first. So it was sad that, you know, with what happened over the weekend, the party wasn't able to celebrate results like ours and learn from them. And I hope to God now that they recognise that the future successes of the Labour Party lie in understanding what Labour was doing in Salford, Preston, Wales, Greater Manchester and other areas where we saw positive results. So, you know, <laughs> Angela Rayner very well. Go back a long way with her. Keir Starmer tried to sack, well, he did, he sacked his party chair in an effort to scapegoat her for the bad election results, specifically Hartlepool. What does that tell us? What do you make of that? Well, I think everybody was shocked at the weekend and I don't know the ins and outs of what happened, but certainly the way that it was coming through on social media and in the press was that Angela had been sacked and essentially scapegoated for the poor election results. And, uh, you know, as was uh, displayed through the media, everybody knows that Angela Rayner didn't have sole responsibility in terms of policies that were being put forward or the messaging. So it was entirely unfair to try and pin the blame on Angela for what happened. The problem lay in the fact that over the last 12 months, we have not developed a vision. We haven't developed any policy. And our main selling point has been, we're not Jeremy Corbyn anymore. And I'm afraid that's just not good enough. Because if you're not a party that sets out what your vision is, people don't know what they're voting for. And that's what happened on those local elections. People just didn't know what the Labour Party was, who we stood for, and they couldn't envisage how voting Labour would make their lives any better. I've got my cat here, uh, just out of thought. He's a very loyal cat, very dedicated, full of compassion. So that's my cat, Keir, out of the way. Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party. <laughs> now, um, very endearing, 
very popular cat. Anyway, sorry. Um, sticks by his word. Watching that, I mean, you <laughs> put against Keir Starmer in the leadership election, and he, I suppose, one of the main challenges you had in that election was actually politically, he did his very best not to politically distinguish himself from you. And you stood as the left candidate, but Keir Starmer went, I've got my 10 pledges. We're going to increase taxes on the rich. We're going to increase corporation tax. We're going to have common ownership. Should have pressed it. We should have all pressed him more on that, to be honest. Mm. We should, we're going to have a green industrial revolution. We're going to scratch tuition fees. We're not going to have illegal wars. We're going to give migrants their rights. You know, a lot of stuff that the left have fought for for a very long time. And under New Labour was anathema. So a lot of people have voted for Corbyn twice when sounds good enough to me. We're yeah. going to have to make some sort of break from the past, but we can stick by the policies, the core policies, because they're popular. We know no one on our doors went in the 2019 election. I was going to vote Labour, but I just really like my privatised railway system. Or, oh, I think the rich having ever such a hard time. Was a no one did that. So people were like, fine, we'll make a compromise, but it, it, we're not going to... Comp Basically, what I'm asking you in a very long-winded way, Becky, is did was he honest in that leadership election, or did he intentionally mislead the Labour Party members who voted for him decisively? Well, I hope he's going to keep his word on the 10 pledges, but certainly we haven't seen anything substantial in terms of policy development over the last 12 months. Um, there, there seems to have been an emphasis on focus group politics and any political party that relies on focus groups is going to come unstuck because as a party you have to have a vision and your job is to sell that vision not try and find out what the most popular vision is and then morph yourself into that because we're going down a very dangerous road if that's the case because we know that the Tories try to control the media narrative and push out their messages to push politics uh, ever further rightwards. Um, I think it's also important to note because I've seen a lot of you know, discussion over the last week about which direction the party needs to go in. And, you know, there are certain commentators that have been doing the media around saying that we need to, you know, lurch towards um, the right effectively. We need to find the so-called centre ground again. But I'd say that the so-called centre ground has collapsed. And that's if it ever actually existed in the first place, that the what we call the medium viewpoint in politics it's shifted dramatically over the years and it was a bit of a mirage anyway because nobody ever wants to think that they they as a person are politically on the extremes of the political spectrum everybody thinks that what they believe is the center ground i think that what i believe is reasonable and that it's in the center of politics and i'm sure anybody else that you speak to believes the same thing unless there's something wrong with them and they are an extremist um, so, so it's difficult to try and really kind of determine, well, what is centre-ground politics? You know, what are the belief systems of centre-ground politics? And when you look at what's happened in the Labour Party over the last 100 years, what we would have classed as the centre-ground in the 1940s, for example, when we set out the welfare state in the NHS, would be completely different to where the centre-ground was in 1997 and the years coming after that. And even in the 1940s, the centre ground wasn't really the centre ground for many people. Even Bevan, when he tried to set up the NHS, he faced strong opposition from even some of his own MPs at the time. When you go even further back to that, we even had Labour MPs actually opposing the first state pension. I think it was in 19, 
09 because he thought that that would affect the ability to drive up people's wages. So to think that we're fighting for this so-called centre ground, I think, is a complete—it's a complete joke, really. We need to set out what we believe in as a party, and at the centre of all of that needs to be the quality of people's lives. And we need to set that around an economic agenda that will set in stone the changes that we need to see. And to do that, you've got to bring the party together. Now, Joe Biden in the US has understood that the only way he's going to win, and he did win, and the only way he's going to stay there as president is to build that coalition by bringing across from all across the centre-left spectrum all the different voices of opinion. That's why he brought Bernie Sanders in to make sure that he reinforced that coalition. And in doing so, he's brought, you know, a lot of the country along with him. Now, if we don't do that as a Labour Party, if we try to go after these fictitious groups of voters that commentators have been saying that we need to pursue over the last week or so, apparently certain commentators think we need to pursue, you know, those supposed middle classes that live in city areas. Other groups have said that we need to pursue working class voters in red wall seats. We're not pursuing groups of voters. We're setting out a vision that makes all voters' lives better and we find a way to message that to appeal to all groups of voters. If we can't do that, then there's no point in the Labour Party existing at all. I mean, two interlinked points before I ask you about the leadership. Um, I mean, one excuse which shadow cabinet ministers have certainly put is the pandemic has got in the way of Labour offering a vision. I suppose I'm interested in your thoughts looking back at World War Two, because World War Two was a bit of a, I think we'd all agree, a bit of a national emergency, even bigger than the one we're currently in now. And Labour at the time didn't go, do you know what, guys, we'd, we'd bloody love to set out a vision, actually, but there's this war going on. So that's that's completely got in the way of that one. We're, we're gutted. I'm sure you are. Uh, instead, they actually said, no, actually, the war means we have to set out a vision. Uh, you know, when we win the war, we've got to win the peace. That was the whole mantra of the Labour mm. Party. And, you know, we can't go back to what things were like before. And we can see the injustices exacerbated and highlighted by conflict. The evacuee children who turned up on doorsteps with hungry bellies. And that helped drive the need for a welfare state. And, you know, we got the NHS and public ownership and all those sorts of things. So I'm interested kind of like that as just the, the fact they're saying that when actually... I think they've let the Tories get away with the pandemic um, and make people feel resigned to the way they handled it. But also, I just don't know what the Labour rights vision is. It's not like it's just, you know, when you ended up with a situation where the Labour Party ended up opposing corporation tax being hiked by the Conservatives. Um, and, you know, even in the 90s, I didn't agree with New Labour's vision, but they had one. You know, they had like minimum wage and, 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 and the windfall tax and privatised utility, devolution, gay rights. I, I don't know what their policies are. And I think a lot of them are, we think, from their perspective, the Tories are spending too much money. So they seem to be to their right. So I suppose that's, my, you know, what do you think about this whole kind of the pandemic's got in the way of, of the vision? And what I don't know what their ideas are on the right of the Labour Party anymore. I just don't. No, I mean, <laughs> neither do I, Owen. And that's the problem. I mean, I have respect. For, for someone who sets out a different opinion to me and a different vision, you know, when I know what that vision is, but at the moment, I don't know what what it is that, you know, certain elements of the party disagree with. You know, it seems to be that, you know, they, they're not happy with certain parts of the manifesto, although they haven't outlined which parts. 
Um, so it's difficult to see what that vision is or where it's even coming from. But in terms of COVID, I mean, what we've experienced as a, as a country over the last year has been absolutely horrific. But what it has done is it shone a spotlight on how precarious people's lives really were. And it wasn't just those who were already struggling on zero hour contracts, those who had very little to live on. It was affecting those who thought they were previously financially secure. You'll hear a lot about the three million excluded. There were over three million people excluded from any form of government support at all when the lockdowns hit, all the way through from small business owners through to the self-employed. They got nothing at all from government and the government did nothing to help them. Now they needed an answer to that from Labour. They needed a bold vision akin to the creation of the welfare state so that we could say, look, we will look after you. We expect you to contribute to society when you can. And in return, we'll look after you when you fall down. We'll pick you up and make sure that you're safe and you're secure. But we didn't set that out, unfortunately. We also had a huge opportunity to show that by providing people with that safety net, with the support that they needed when they couldn't work, we'd be able to provide the funds for that through a huge industrial programme led primarily by the Green New Deal, by the Green Industrial Revolution. So not just about tinkering here and there um, and tackling climate change incrementally. This was a huge programme and I think we've missed a trick really. And I know we have been setting out some policies and it's been good to see what Ed Miliband and his team have been doing, but we needed to go much further than that. You don't just talk about the Green Industrial Revolution, you build detailed policies now on top of the ones that we'd set out at the last election which were, were huge as they were but we needed to go much further and we could have showed you know these red wall seats that had been de-industrialized that had lost faith in the Labour Party that we were going to create jobs and industry in those areas we'd have been able to show them what kinds of factories and industries we'd put there and we would have shown that we had an answer for the future so that that not just their own immediate lives would be improved, but their children's and grandchildren's lives would be good. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you think Kate Sparrow... Oh, sorry, that was a large, large echo. Apologies to the we'll, we'll, we'll... It was It was Kate Starmer trying to intervene to prevent this question. Do you think Keir Starmer, is, his position as Labour leader is now secure? I mean, some would look at 
you know, what's his selling point anymore? Because he doesn't look principled, given his lack of commitment to the policies he committed to in the leadership election before he got his mandate. Competence, don't think anyone could look at what happened at the weekend and think, hmm, much, much competence there. Um, loyal, don't think so. Integrity, don't think throwing a working class woman under a bus looks like integrity to me, I'm going to be honest. Electable, well, Hartlepool was lots of things. It wasn't electable. And the polling is terrible. His poll, one poll shows, according to YouGov, his personal rating now is as low as it took Jeremy Corbyn to get after four years. And whatever mistakes Jeremy Corbyn made, Keir Starmer has not been up against four years of relentless media uh, demonization, portraying him as, I don't know, the love child of some Al-Qaeda leader and all the rest of it. And uh, the, you know, the parliamentary Labour Party haven't all been united in trying to take him down. I just look at that and think, What's the point? Is he is he going to stay as leader? Do you think? And does he deserve to stay as leader leader of the Labour Party? Right. Well, I want to win the next election. I think any Labour member will want to say the same thing. And in order to do that, there are a number of things that need to happen. Firstly, we've got to set out policy. We need to know what Keir believes in, but we need to do that in a way that brings the party together around our core principles with detailed policies that display what Labour would do and how we will change people's lives. The second thing that Keir needs to do is to unify the party. Now, all of the candidates in that leadership election, we all stood on a platform that said, we're not going to have another five years of what happens. We're not going to have MPs briefing against each other and the leader. We're going to come together because it's only when we're together that we win. And that seems to have been forgotten, unfortunately, and it needs to change and it's got to change very quickly because I know that there are a lot of members all over the party from different political spectrums who are losing faith because they just want to come together, campaign in the local areas and feel that we're unified as one voice. So Keir has to do that and he has to work across the party to develop that trust and build up that sense of unity again. Um, and then the third thing that needs to happen is that we've got to remember that you can't hollow out the party and think that we'll win an election by just engaging in the dark arts of Westminster. That won't win the hearts and minds of people in Salford and in Hartlepool. The only way that you're going to build up that confidence and trust of communities is to be in those communities, to rebuild the social structures that made sure that the Labour Party was a presence in those communities. And some areas do it very well. I know in Salford, we work very hard trying to get out and about in our communities. We'd like to do a lot more. Uh, and that's why we need our activists to, to help us on the ground. And we do have brilliant activists that do that in Salford. But we need to see that across the country. And that means engaging with Labour's membership, putting your arms around them, and encouraging them to be part of their communities and to build those social structures and institutions that makes people trust Labour. I mean, it's been put to me by several sources that Peter Mandelson uh, has been playing a very significant role in the Labour leadership. He's done an interview in which he denies having spoken to Keir Starmer since 2018, but I know as a fact that he was signing off lines to shadow cabinet ministers because when they complained about the lines to take to the media, they were told they'd been signed off by Peter Mandelson. Uh, I also know 
that he got in touch with people asking them to work with prospective secretaries of state as part of a cabinet shadow cabinet reshuffle. Uh, those sec shadow secretary of states weren't appointed because the Labour leadership made such clown shoes of themselves that um, they couldn't go through the reshuffle they planned. Uh, it's been put to me that the new uh, chief whip of the Labour Party with Nick Brown gone will mean the expulsion potentially of Jeremy Corbyn from the Labour Party, but also uh, an attempt to look for excuses to pick up members of the Socialist Campaign Group, for those who don't know, it's the left-wing caucus of Labour MPs, t attempts to change the leadership rules to stop a left-wing MP ever standing for the leadership again, or the institutional means to just basically do what Peter Mandelson once said, which is to pot the left in a sealed tomb, which is what he said in the 90s. Do you think that's going to happen? And if so, what on earth is the strategy of the left to prevent the left, who are the ones with the ideas and the vision within the Labour Party, the right don't have it, uh, how does the left defend themselves? How, how does the left survive? Well, it goes back to the point that you made before it's like well what's what's the alternative vision you know if, if this is true and this is going to happen what is it that that certain element within the party is actually fighting for is it just because they want power and control and they don't really care what the policies are they just want to be in power then we might as well all go home as labor members because what's the point of the labor party anymore um so i hope that that doesn't happen because the only way that we're going to be a formidable electoral force is to have that broad, broad coalition of views and ideas across the centre-left. That's the only time that Labour's ever won uh, power, and it's the only time we've ever made um, an implement and implemented changes that were lasting. You know, when you look at what happened in 1945, for example, where there was a coalition uh, brought together of people who had you know very different views within the Labour Party but were unified behind one vision and implemented change that we still see today in the NHS in the welfare state. So I think for people who you know would class themselves on the so-called left of the party if you like and I hate to say that sometimes because a lot of our members and even MPs you know they're put in a pigeonhole sometimes where whereas we all have you know agreements on particular issues we're very clear on that certainly on economic policy um, but what I'd say is that we need to make sure that the leadership of the party understands what the majority of the Labour Party membership want to see. We're a member-led party. We're not led by one person or two people who might have an idea about where they want to go. We're there because of our members and our trade unions and our party needs to represent that. So any deviation from that membership and trade union-led party needs to be fought strongly against. And I don't want there to be a battle ahead. I hope that those at the top of the party understand that it's only by being a coalition together and unifying that represents us being that electoral force. But if there is a battle to be had, I think our membership will fight very fiercely. Um, just a couple of last things. Um, a lot of Labour, I want to know what you'd say to um, Labour members who think, I'm out, this, this is just a, a total disaster, the leadership isn't going to listen to us, um, and the Labour Party has no future, or indeed voters, Labour voters, I mean there's a poll today 
And it asked uh, the electorate um, amongst UK adults uh, comparing Labour and the Green Party. And this is amongst the general electorate. 45% of voters thought the Green Party represent change for the better compared to 38% for the Labour Party. 45% thought the Greens presented a vision of the future compared to 38% of Labour. 49% thought the Greens were clear what they stood for compared to 37% for Labour. 40% thought the Greens were the party of aspiration. 36% said Labour. What would you say to Labour members who were just like, I'm out, Becky, sorry, have fun, my card is getting burned? And what would you say to Labour voters who think, I'm just going to go elsewhere? That's what they did. The Greens did really well. And it's not like they've actually gone on a big mission to try and hoover up disillusioned voters. So what would you say to those members and those voters that just, they're, they're, they're out now, to be honest? Well, two things is that I'm in the Labour Party because I've got a very specific vision of the world that I want to see. And I know that I share that with many of our members. And I know that there's no point in me kicking it from the outside in and thinking that I'll be able to change things because I won't. And the same goes for our members as well. If you want to be able to change things, you want to be able to shape policy and you want the Labour Party to represent the ideals that you do, then you have to be in the party to do that. For people who might be thinking of going to other smaller fringe parties, I'd say this, the Labour Party has always been the only choice to affect the social and economic change that our communities need to see, to lift people up and give them the quality of life that they deserve. And we do that through building a coalition. And that means all of those people on the fringes who might be going to those smaller parties, they need to come together with us as one so that we provide that force to, to defeat the Conservative Party, essentially. If we all break off and, and join smaller parties based on our very specific set of views, then we're never going to win a general election ever again. We might feel better in ourselves. We might think, right, well, I've, I've just joined that really, really small party that talks about socialism or talks about green stuff that might be nice and it might make us help sleep at night might help us sleep at night but it's not going to win a general election and we're never ever going to be able to improve people's lives so i would say join the labor party change it make sure that it represents the values that you want it to see represent and make sure you join one final question before i ask the last final question sorry uh, my penultimate question which i i did forget to ask the Green Industrial Revolution is something you're very, very passionate about. You you really were abs the, the forefront of that in terms of uh, Labour's manifesto. Obviously, that was your your baby, your project. I mean, how do you feel now when the Conservatives are talking about a Green Industrial Revolution, when mayoral candidates uh, for the Tories are talking about the Green Industrial Revolution? Do they mean it? Have they, have they really nabbed your policies, which they're now implementing, or, or not? No, they're cheeky beggars. They stole the tagline, but they've not stolen any of the policies, unfortunately. And at the moment, we're off missing our targets uh, completely. You know, our fourth and fifth carbon budget will way off. We're going into COP26 in Glasgow with a really poor record on tackling climate change. So all the rhetoric in the world, unfortunately, isn't going to save the world overall. And we need to make sure that the Labour Party responds to that effectively. And that means, as I said earlier, it's not just using the policies now that we had in the 2019 manifesto. It's going even further than that, because by the time we get elected at next election, 
we're going to have to make up so much ground. It's unbelievable. And that's just to meet net zero by 2050. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think just responding to the Tories and calling them out for being rubbish on climate change isn't going to cut it, unfortunately. We need to see real detail. And we've got to do what we were talking about before, build that coalition across the climate movement, bring everybody together, we're unified around one message. Final question. Uh, when I spoke to John Trickett uh, at the weekend, who's, for those who don't know, he's the Labour MP for Hemsworth, um, a fellow Northern Labour MP, he said that the left should not rule out a leadership challenge if things do not change. What's your view of that? Well, I've not heard any juicy gossip. Um, I mean, we heard, all heard the rumblings at the weekend. I don't know whether there was any truth <laughs> that certain individuals were thinking of mounting a leadership challenge, but we'll see. Um, but as I say, I mean, there, there are certain key things that if Keir wants to win the next general election, he's going to have to do, and he's going to have to do it very quickly. One is unifying the party. Two is setting out a clear policy platform now. Um, and a certain and a certain program of economic reform that builds faith in the Labour Party once again. And then the third is to engage our membership and not make them feel disenfranchised or alienated, make them feel involved once again and create that excitement that that you know we definitely saw under Jeremy Corbyn where our members felt like they had the power to change the world. We want them to feel like they've got that power again. We don't want to lose 100,000 members, which is one of the figures that's been reported to me in recent days that we've lost from the Labour Party. We want to see a building up of our membership because it's by building up that mass movement on the ground that means we'll see people within our communities building up the Labour Party brand. If we're hollowed out, and we're just a small group of people at the top in Westminster, then I think we might as well forget it. Becky, thank you so, so much. Sorry, I've we had, a, occasionally when I spoke, caused all sorts of mayhem, which isn't the first time that's happened, but we got through it. And that was, that was really, really appreciated uh, to have you talking about where you think things are heading, where it's all going wrong. And I think what, a lot of people will appreciate is you actually set out very positively and constructively how things should change, whether your suggestions will be listened to by the Labour Well, leader. you can only hope, Owen. You can only hope. There's I try. A... <laughs> you do try. Yeah, you very much so. I just wish they'd listened. But um, I really appreciate it, Becky. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, do support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. Help us decide who we talk to, what we talk about, the documentaries we do, uh, and also on the supporter function, uh, which you can see in the description. And leave us five stars and a review. It just helps other people listen. Uh, and with that, thank you so much. Speak soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.